0: We come today to the final section of the Sermon on the Mount, and beginning with verse 21 of chapter 7 of Matthew, there is a disturbing paragraph, and I I need you to wipe the sleep from your eyes and to sit up straight, because this is really important. Matthew 7, 21, 22, and 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the Kingdom of Heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in Heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer." Now, this is a little frightening. This is a passage of Scripture that can create some uncertainty. And doubt about our salvation. These men on judgment day anticipated being saved. I mean, they had prophesied, preached, they had performed miracles, helped people, and they had done uh, marvelous works in the name of the Lord. Yet Jesus would say, I never knew you depart from me. Now this kind of shakes our confidence a little bit. How do we know this is not us? We think we're saved, we think we're going to heaven, but what if we stand before God and He said, well, I never knew you. Now, I think it helps to consider the following observations. Now, these are not biblical principles that I'm introducing to you today. These are going to be my observations about this passage until we get to the final one. The first one is this. God wants us to be confident of our salvation, but not overconfident. Uh, basketball coaches would understand this delicate balance. If a team gets overconfident, they get complacent and sloppy and lack intensity. If a team lacks confidence and they're fearful, they play defensively and tentatively and they play not to lose. To play with reckless abandon, there has to be this balance of confidence in what we're doing, but not overconfidence. Uh, Ronnie mentioned, I've been married for 56 years and I'm very confident in my marriage. I mean, I'm not going to get a divorce. My wife is not going to divorce me next week. And uh, that's one of the great things about being married a long time. You have this assurance. You know that when you go home at the end of the day, there's somebody there to meet you to whom you are the most important person in the world. But my wife doesn't want me to get overconfident and uh, take her for granted and talk about concubines and pulpit, I guess. Or get sloppy or forget my anniversary, flirt with somebody else. Years ago, most of you won't remember this, when Jimmy Swaggart fell, he was unfaithful to his wife, he blubbered an apology to a national TV audience, and it was embarrassing. And as he was weeping and confessing on TV, my wife looked at me and said, if you ever do that to me, I will be a divorced murderer. (laughs) I said, Judy if you murder me, you don't have to divorce me. She said, no, I'll murder her and divorce you because I want you to suffer a long time. <laughs> I took it. She didn't want me to get overconfident in, in my marriage. Uh, let me share, you, share with you four passages, I think you got printed on the outline, that should produce confidence. You might know these passages, John 10, 28. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Even Satan, with all of his wiles, cannot snatch you out of God's mighty hand. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say there's no sin. Doesn't say there's no temptation. Doesn't say there aren't any mistakes. But he says, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You don't have to fear hell. Uh, 1 John 5. 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to be confident that we're going to heaven. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Our salvation is not dependent on our earning it. Have we been good enough to go to heaven? No, it's a gift that God gives to us. He is not an Indian giver. So we say, I'm going to heaven because I put my trust not in me, but I put my trust in Jesus' work for me on the cross. Uh, Evangelist Paul Little used to put it like this You line a thousand people up along the shore of the Pacific Ocean, you tell them all to swim to Hawaii, how many would make it? Nobody. The doggy peddler might go 20 yards, and the Olympic swimmer might go 20 miles, but nobody's powerful enough to swim all the way to Hawaii. But if a cruise ship came along and a benevolent captain threw out a life ring and said, I'll give a free trip to Hawaii to anybody who climb on board, who's going to make it to Hawaii? The person who's humble enough to say, I can't make it on my own. I'm going to trust the captain. That's Christianity. We're saying, I am trusting Jesus Christ. I put my faith in Him and I'm climbing on board. And uh, it, it is by grace that you're saved through faith. But God doesn't want us to be overconfident of our salvation, lest we become careless and hardened in the Christian life. Here are some verses that stimulate vigilance. Luke 9:62. Jesus said, "No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The plowman picks a point at the end of the field and goes straight toward it, lest there be kinks in the row. So don't look back." 1 Corinthians 15:2. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that i preached to you otherwise you have believed in vain hebrews 10:26 if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of god now notice he doesn't say if we sin after we become a Christian. He doesn't even say if we deliberately sin after we become a Christian. He said if you deliberately just keep on sinning and sinning and sinning, eventually your conscience gets seared and your heart gets hard and and you or drift away from God. No more sacrifice for sin. A more graphic one, 2 Peter 2, if they have escaped the corruption of this world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome. Again, this have if you sin. But if you get you squall the way back to your former way of life and you uh, become addicted again and you get entangled in it and you can't overcome it. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and to have known it and turned their backs on the sacred commandment that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Now, the only way I can interpret these almost conflicting verses of scripture is God wants us to be very confident of our salvation but he doesn't want us to quit and be overconfident and this passage at the end of the Sermon on the Mount serves as a reminder stay on your toes don't quit, be faithful unto death let me add this other passage from 2 Timothy 2 that clarifies it for me this is one of my favorite when it comes to this once saved, always saved thing that people talk about it says if we endure, we'll also reign with him But if we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, come back to this idea. We're saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm trusting his word is true. But if we ever reach the point where we say, I don't trust Christ anymore. I'm I'm a Muslim now. I'm an agnostic now. I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Then he'll disown us. But he says if we're faithless, if we, if, if we stumble and fall, but we still have trust in Jesus Christ, he will still be faithful because he cannot disown his promise to, to save us if we trust. Come back to the uh, cruise ship example. You, you can't make it to Hawaii so you grab on board and you're taking on board this cruise ship and boy you're going, to, you're going to Hawaii. But if you're dumb enough to go to the edge of, of the deck and jump over and start trying to swim again if you're dumb enough to do that then I guess God will let you go. Now here's a second observation. Remember this passage follows a warning about false prophets and specifically applies to them. Uh, in Matthew 7, 15, you looked at this, I think, last week. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize him. Uh, you know that once you become a Christian, Satan doesn't just back off. Say, well, they're, they're saved. I'm going to let them alone. No, Satan is vigorously like a roaring lion coming about. He's trying to snatch you back, trying to get you to jump over the uh, railing into the water again. Trust yourself. And Satan is very crafty. He works both overtly and he works covertly. He works overtly. He sometimes flaunts his temptation and parades. Hedonism tempts you with unabashed Immorality, drugs, affairs, pornography, indulgence in the good life. I saw an advertisement on a billboard on 965 for an adult bookstore. And it's called The Lion's Den. You seen that, And Satan's overtly, he's a roaring lion wanting to devour you. Sometimes Satan's very upfront about the darkness that he tries to get us to go back into. Blatant. But he also works covertly. He masquerades as an angel of light, the Bible says. Jesus said he comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing. He camouflages his danger. He even comes into the church not flaunting sin but with uh, false teaching that's deceptive and will lead especially new believers astray. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like a pastor. They sound like a Bible teacher. They've got a theological degree. They quote the Bible, but he says, inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. They're going to suck you out of the kingdom of God. The most dangerous counterfeit bills are those that look the most like authentic. You never see a counterfeit $30 bill. it's not a real. And the most dangerous false teachers are the ones that look most like, sound most like the authentic. And we're told repeatedly in scripture to watch out for false prophets, be perceptive, particularly the Bible says, in the last days many false prophets will come and deceive many, even deceiving some of the elect. In fact, Second Thessalonians 2 talks about the coming Antichrist and he will uh, imitate Jesus and he will quote Scripture and he will be able to perform some pretty special spectacular miracles and He will lead many people astray. That's why the Bible says don't believe every spirit. You test the spirits to see whether they're from God lest you get sucked in by that uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. Now quickly here three litmus tests for false prophets. Number one there's the doctrinal test. Usually their teaching is not quite orthodox. They're going to teach salvation by works, or Jesus is not really equal with God, or there's an inspired book addition to the Bible, or there's a leader in addition to Jesus. Doctrinal test. The second is the behavioral tests. Their lifestyle is unholy. Now, no leader, Christian leader is perfect. We all have feet of clay. But often the false prophets behind the scenes are guilty of either flagrant immorality or extravagance and greed. They're, they're living in luxury and their ego's out of control. And the third test is a test of fruitfulness. What do they produce? You'll, you'll be, if you're, you're alert, most false prophets don't convert non-Christians to Jesus Christ. Most false prophets prey on those who are already Christians, young, naive, and they suck them into their cult. Now, Read Matthew 7 again in light of the false prophets that Jesus has just been talking about. I want you to circle two words in your minds. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, did, Lord, Lord, did. Circle that word, did, in your mind. Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's the second word I want you to kind of circle. The first word, when it comes to salvation, say, Lord, think about all the things we did. We did this, we did that, we've earned salvation. Well, yeah, we, we, our lifestyle wasn't exactly, but we did so many other things. We kind of earned uh, excursion into the world on occasion. Look at all the things we did. You see, they're, they're trusting not in Jesus Christ's death on the cross, but they're trusting in their own works. And the second is the word evildoers. In their personal lives, there was this hypocrisy, big contrast between what they were preaching and how they were living. I'm almost hesitant to bring this up, but I was a big fan of Ravi Zacharias. And uh, my daughter-in-law, Kelly, Ravi Zacharias was her favorite preacher. She got a husband who's a preacher, and her father-in-law is a preacher. Ravi Zacharias, one of her favorite, I mean, this guy, Great apologists, great lessons on radio, respected uh, nationwide, worldwide. But at the end of his ministry, there were some rumors that Ravi Zacharias was behind the scenes living in gross immorality. And then after he died, his board of directors came out with a confession. They'd done an investigation and Ravi Zacharias... uh, had massage parlors and it was going the women at the massage parlor admitted that he was asking for sexual favors and being unfaithful to his wife as devastating to all of us to hear that now I hope I really hope Robbie Zacharias is saved uh, I'm not the judge, but I am going to tell you. Some who anticipate salvation because they've done so many good things in Jesus' name, Jesus may say to some of those, depart from me, you evildoer. I, n- I never knew you. Now, I never knew you. That's a, a, I have a, a, a close friend who is, has a Baptist background. And if you came from Baptist background, they teach eternal security. Once you're saved, you're, you're always saved. You can never slip back and lose your salvation. And so I gave him an example. I went to school with Bible college with this guy who, who seemed to love the Lord and he studied to preach and he began to preach and was a good preacher, but something happened and he fell away and he sold all of his books and now he doesn't preach, he doesn't even go to church and he renounces Christ and he is an agnostic. And you, are you telling me that he's still saved? And his answer is, he was never saved in the first place. Now, I, I'll, I'll buy that. If you're talking about it from God's perspective, because God sees the eternal present, and I don't think God writes people's names in the Lamb's Book of Life and then gets an eraser out when they fall. He knows in advance, and that is why Jesus is saying, look, your name's never in the Lamb's Book of Life. I, I, I never knew you because he sees uh, the, the total lifestyle. All right, let's go to the third one. Judgment Day is going to produce some surprises. Some who anticipate being saved will be condemned. Did they expect to be saved? And they weren't, Matthew 7. Some who feel unworthy are going to be saved and rewarded in heaven. Matthew 25, there's a long section where... Bible says that Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats, and to those on his right hand, the sheep he will say to them, come you blessed of my Father into the kingdom, because I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink I was naked and you clothed me, I was in prison and you visited me. And they're going to be surprised. They're going to say, "We, we Jesus we never saw you in that condition. What are, you, what, what are you saying? Well the same as you did it to the least of me least of these you did it to me, and they're going to be rewarded and surprised. And then some who are last on earth will be first in heaven, Matthew 20, 16. The first will be last and the last will be first. I think there are going to be some surprises when we get to heaven as to who's going to be considered the greatest in the kingdom. Uh, we get a little glimpse of that sometimes at the end of a person's life. I mean, Joe Paterno, the coach, football coach at uh, Penn State, I'm from Pennsylvania, he was always an icon in the state, but then at the end of his life it was disclosed that he was covering over an assistant coach's uh, sexual perversion, and he kind of died in disgrace. Or maybe a more graphic example of what I'm talking about, Bill Cosby, the comedian. Everybody thought he was the greatest for decades, and he was in ads, and everybody loved him. But then at the end of his life, there have been some disclosures about his private life, and the last will be first, and the first will be last. There are going to be some shockers like that on Judgment Day. People we thought were saints may be disclosed as scoundrels, people we never noticed are going to be acclaimed as heroes. The Bible says in Luke 12, that which was whispered in secret will be shouted from the housetops. I I, I read this past week about how Vanderbilt University got its name and uh, why they're called the Vanderbilt Commodores. Cornelius Vanderbilt was a multimillionaire in the 1873, worth what would be $223 billion, is estimated today. And he gave a $1 million donation, and so they, as the largest donation, so they named Vanderbilt after Cornelius Vanderbilt. And he was called, kind uh, of nicknamed the Commodore. So it's been Vanderbilt Commodore. I mean, this guy has his name out there, and he, uh, is, he's kind of the, the mascot. He's got a lot of attention for donating 0005 uh, percent of his income. His name is First. It's up there. You contrast that with my dad, whom almost nobody in this room ever met or ever heard of, and my dad was a blue-collar worker, and he scraped to provide for six kids, worked at Talon Zipper Factory, but he loved the Lord, loved the church. and When our One of our preachers skipped town, leaving a lot of unpaid bills. My dad was so concerned the church was going to have a bad reputation in the little community. So my dad goes to the bank and he borrows $2,500 of his own money and pays off all the preacher's bills. And then he takes the second job working in a sawmill to pay it back. I think, I'm not God, I think when we get to heaven, my dad is going to have a greater reward than. Cornelius Vanderbilt. God's going to make things right. He sees what's going on behind the scenes. Remember, Jesus looked at the woman who put two mites in the offering plate. said so she's given more than everybody. Nobody was noticing her, but God noticed. Now look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 3. By the grace God has given me, I, had a, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, there are three kinds of uh, materials that are imperishable, gold, silver, costly stones, and then three that are combustible, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. Now this is not the fire of hell. This is a purifying fire to see what survives. And the purifying fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now this obviously teaches that God is going to reward in heaven the things that are done on earth in his name with the right motive unselfish spirit and some of the things that get flaunted and get publicized they're going to burn up because they were done for egotistical purposes or they were done uh, for selfish reasons and judgment day is going to be kind of day of surprise I think the mega church preacher me uh, who gets a lot of attention on earth We'll probably not get nearly the reward of some little country preacher out there who has just faithfully, uh with whatever talent God has given him, has served behind the scenes, uh, they're gonna be acclaimed in heaven, and Mega Church preacher may just be as one escaping the flames. Uh, what what if when we get to judgment day, what if, I'm just saying, what, what if Harry Truman is considered a better president than Abraham Lincoln? Last to be first. First would be last. What if the mother of a special needs child who has to give 24 hours a day, every day, 30, 40 years, caring for this child, nobody notices. She gets more attention than the mother, Michelle Duggar, who had 19 children, gets flaunted on TV. In heaven there are going to be some surprises because God sees all and He is a just God and He's going to reward those who diligently seek Him. That's why we try to see from the perspective of God and not the perspective of men. Okay, here's the the primary lesson for us and this is from God. Be authentic and build your life on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ and continue to trust in Him. The next section in Matthew 7 reads, therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man, built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowd was amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Build your life, after you become a Christian, on a firm foundation. Now, what's the, what's the foundation of your life? Are you building really on the possessions of this world Are you living for the pleasures of this world? Are you living for the acclaim, the power of this world, the indulgence of this world? Well, none of those things are gonna last. That's quicksand. Or you can build on the foundation of Christ and his word. You make that your priority in life. Uh, The Bible says heaven and earth are gonna pass away. My word will never pass away. In Luke 12, Jesus told the parable of the rich farmer, his crops produced abundantly. And he said, what am I going to do with all these crops? He didn't say, I think I can share some with the needy. I think I'll uh, uh, give some to the church. No, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down all my warehouses. I'll build bigger warehouses and I'll store up as much as I can. And then I'll retire and I'll say, boy, you can eat, drink and be merry because you have the good life. And God said to him, you fool, tonight you're going to die. Then who are all going to get all these things are are you are you building barns that are bigger and bigger on this earth when you're going to leave them all behind here are the foundation eternal truths that i try to build my life on god created me i'm not an evolutionary accident god designed me and i have a purpose in life i am a sinner and i am in need of a savior i'm in need of forgiveness and jesus christ is my savior He's the son of God who died for my sins and rose from the dead to prove that I can do it through his power. And I have the assurance of eternal life. My citizenship is not on this earth. My citizenship primarily is in heaven. And my purpose on earth is to glorify God and to take as many people to heaven with me as I can. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world. That's everybody in this room. If you've ever traveled to a third world country, you're rich compared to them. Command those who are rich not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Put your hope in God, who richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. You're supposed to enjoy the things that God has given and say, this is great, I know it, but I'm not putting my trust in them. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation For the coming age. So that they may take hold of the life that is really life. Change your priorities. Grow into them as a Christian. All of a sudden possessions don't matter as much. Popularity doesn't matter as much. Your golf score doesn't matter as much. Because your citizenship is in heaven. You're just going to be here a short time. Live in eternity for heaven. Now, that's important. He says Because storms are going to come to test the quality of your workmanship. Storms come to every life. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The storms don't have the same intensity. Some are just little disturbing rain showers and others are hurricanes that contain flood warnings. And storms don't hit everyone the same way. Some of you go through life and you don't have many storms. And other people go through life one storm after another. But every life has storms. Uh, The storms are going to come to you. I saw Eric Wood out here coming in. Eric, life seemed to be going good. I watched him play football at the University of Old, started at center from the time all, all conference, gets drafted by the Buffalo Bills, all pro. Life's then all of a sudden a storm came. Career ending injury to his neck. Now is his life built on sand if sports all of this for him, he's gonna fall apart. But his life said oh, there's something more important than football. And it's built on Jesus Christ. So he's going into podcasts and broadcasting, and uh, God is using his life. Storms are going to come to your life. Be ready for them. Uh, my life's been fairly smooth. I've not had many storms, been a few. Death of my parents and sibling. My wife had a serious stroke years ago. I've had three blood clots. Last one, the doctor said, Mr. Russell, three of those fragments from blood clots lodged in your lung. If one of those that hits your heart, you'd be dead in two seconds. Two seconds? That's not much time to repent, you know? Uh. <laughs> Granddaughter hospitalized, autoimmune disease, staff member, led a revolt. I have a son who's on, on the police force, and uh, when they're having riots downtown Lobo, I'm watching them on TV and I thought to myself, I hope Phil's not in the middle of that. And all of a sudden he walked across in front of the screen. <laughs> and my grandson, there's dad, there's dad. Ten minutes later I hear two policemen been shot. And between that time and the time I heard it was not my son, the storm. What are you, what are you what's your life built on? The solidarity of your life is exposed by storms. If the foundation is weak, it'll collapse. But if it's built on Jesus Christ, it'll survive. Uh, I got a phone call several months ago that Judy Coy was in the hospital facing serious cancer. I thought, oh no, could anything more happen to that family? Judy and Randy Coy have been a part of this church for a long time. They had three children. One child was died in infancy. Then they had a teenage daughter who was a cheerleader at Western Kentucky, and she was killed in an automobile accident over here in Watterson Expressway, and two years later, their remaining son committed suicide. Three kids all gone. Then Randy had serious heart problems, almost died, survived it. Then Judy got a brain aneurysm and she had to have brain surgery. And now years later, Judy Coy's in the hospital with serious cancer. Couldn't visit her got, during COVID, so I called her. I said, Judy, Bob Russell here. I don't know why, Judy, some people go through so many storms. Suffering is not distributed equally. But, you know, you and I have talked about that before, Judy. I think God's going to reward those who go through extreme suffering and have been faithful. You get to heaven. When you get to heaven, Judy, on Judgment Day, and God calls you up on the platform and tells your story, and everybody's applauding, would you look way in the back? Because my life's been pretty easy. I'm going to be applauding more than anybody because I, I just admire so much you hanging in there. And she said, I'm counting on that. God's good. We're holding on. How do you hold on? You, your life better be built on a solid foundation for that to happen. The crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching. He taught them as one having authority. The other teachers were quoting authorities. I like Ronnie did, did you say this? <laughs> you know, you're quoting somebody else. But Jesus, look through the Sermon on the Mount. He's always quoting himself. You heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, don't hate in your heart. You heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't lust in your heart. You heard it said, uh, don't uh, uh, violate your oath. But I said to you, don't swear at all. You have heard it said, that, uh, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. You see, folks, Jesus is not just the greatest teacher. He's not just the greatest leader, the greatest theologian. Jesus is God. He's the only one who lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, only one who raised bodily from the grave. That sets Him apart. That's why Jesus could say, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. That's why the early disciples got imprisoned and put to death. Rome... Rome had a lot of gods, probably wouldn't mind one other. Well, let's put a little statue of Jesus here beside all these other statues. No, the disciples went out into the world saying, Jesus is the only God. Simon Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So here are the lessons. Be confident of your salvation, but don't exploit the grace of God. Don't get careless. You continue to be faithful unto death. Get back up when you fall down. Number two, try to make a good impression, but don't be more concerned about appearance than you are substance. Man's opinion of you doesn't matter. It's God's opinion. Focus on substance. Three, expect, expect some storms, but don't be terrified of them because God will sustain you. If Judy Coy can go through that, and say God's good. Whatever you face, and you may face some hurricanes, you can survive if it's built on the firm foundation. And then trust totally in Jesus Christ. He alone is God. We have friends who work with Franklin Graham's Samaritan purse, and they went to California to try to help people who's. Homes have been destroyed by those devastating fires that swept through there some time ago. <clears throat> and they told about standing with a widow who was looking at her expensive expensive house that is now just ashes, a little smoke still waffling up from the ashes. And she stood there in tears, and they heard her say, I've lost everything. Everything, but I still have my Jesus. There may come a day, I, I pray, many years in the future, when you could lose it all, but I pray that you still have your Jesus, the firm foundation worthy of your life. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for these men trying to be your people. We're aware that Satan, like a roaring lion, is seeking to get us to jump ship and go back into the world. Help us to be determined today to be faithful unto death that we might receive the crown of life. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen.